Hi everyone, this is the Desi Condition. I'm Tanushree, and unlike previous episodes, I've decided to stop anglicizing my name on a Desi podcast. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the adult versus child power dynamic in South Asian families and culture and the effect that that can have on our psyche as first and second generation Desi people. I've got Ashraf on the show today. Hi, Ashraf. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you for being here. Hey, did you know you're the first boy on this show? That, yeah. I am all for diversity. I'm glad I'm adding to that quotient. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to right now? Well, so right now, recently, um, I'm actually in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm attending an Islamic seminary full time for a year. Um, and really, a lot of this journey started with me working with young people. Uh, I've been doing a lot of youth work and organizational work ever since I was a, a kid. Um, and I primarily mentor middle school students as well as high school students um, going through various phases and degrees in life. Everything from uh, you know personal issues that they're dealing with to uh, trying to work on like physical skills such as playing basketball. I had a basketball program that I had started as well as spiritual issues that might be dealing with um, and how they're reconciling their internal identities uh, in today's environment. And so me being at the seminary is an opportunity for me to really like learn some uh, incredible skills and education and history for me to interact better with these kids and actually offer them solutions that will help them in the long term. That's really cool. That sounds really rewarding. I've got a question for you. You talked about spiritual conflict that comes up for them. Can you describe kind of what that looks like? Oh, absolutely. Like uh, one of the biggest challenges that you're dealing with uh, is parents like trying to control their kid and like, you know, deliver one form of spirituality towards them and the kid themselves trying to own up their own form of spirituality or their own direction in life. I can't tell you how many kids I've worked with that have existential crises. They're worried about what's my existence? Why do I matter? What do I bring to the world? And a lot of this starts at home, where if your mom and your dad are not reinforcing you, not reminding you that you're a good person, you have value, you bring something good to the world, verbalizing it, you know, making it physical by holding them and hugging them. You know, uh, the, the kids that I tend to work with, their parents are so overworked. They live in low socioeconomic statuses and they are just struggling really, really difficult. Like some of them are working two to three jobs and they don't have time to take their kids to the park. They don't have time to talk to them about religion or their identity or how they're feeling or their interactions with friends and family. It's kind of like rote motions. Go through X, Y, and Z and you'll get through the end of life. Do really well in school because we know that education means success and success is the point of life. And right. the, the kids that I tend to work with they're just so like it's tough it's really challenging to go through those motions with them um and and talk to them make them feel like they're affirmed in this world i find that the kind of ironic thing about this is that you know our parents are doing like all this all this work for us to give us opportunities that we didn't that sorry that they didn't have growing up i feel like what they end up doing is just giving us like a procedure, like a step-by-step rules, like of how to live your life rather than like a guideline of things to do. 
And what happens is that mm. like when the kids don't totally understand why you have to do certain things, I don't know, like why you have to be good at math, like it just creates more of a burden on them. And then parents have to do more to enforce these procedures that they're giving us. And then they end up doing oh, the emotional absolutely. work for us because we are not available to do that for ourselves because we don't even know like what's what's going on. Oh my God. I, absolutely. I, I can't tell you how much I, I feel that. Like I, how many conversations I've had with my mom? It's just like, mom, like, couldn't you just spell it out for me? Couldn't you just explain it to me? You could have just said it directly. You know, you could have just been like, math is good for you because it helps sharpen your brain and it helps you. No, you got to get math. If you don't get an A, then you have been deemed a failure and your existence is futile. I, I mean, I can even say like for me directly, like I don't have like an inclination towards sports. Like I don't generally watch sports or play sports. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that I just was not like cultivated that feeling when I was younger. I, I didn't want to go to the park and my, my parents didn't want to take me. Like they took me to the park, but they were on like, Oh, here's your own basketball. Go play. Like, let me show you, let me shoot with you, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just very like, it's things that kids do, but I've never cultivated that love for it. I've never been shown the joy of it. So why, why should I do this? Yeah. Where's where it? And, and we rely so much from our parents to teach us those modes of operation, those templates in life so that we can cultivate what's internal to us. Right. You know, what's really sad. I feel like I spent all my years in school just waiting to like be done with high school, be done with college, be done with grad school. And then I can start living like that is what I kept telling myself that like, oh, once I'm done with school, I can start pursuing the things that I actually like doing, like like music and like art and whatever. And like that that's just so wild to me. I spent my whole, like basically my whole life thinking that way. Oh, my God. You know, I was thinking like there's actually a beautiful parable about this where um, there's a fisherman off the coast of Mexico. He uh, is like working with his family. He just catches a couple of fish a day. And then he goes home to his family and plays with his kids. Businessman comes by and says, oh, you're so good at fishing. Why don't you turn this into a business? Why do you fish just this much? He says, well, you know, if I fish this much, that's enough for my family. I can go and take care of them. So the businessman says, but you can grow it. And he's like, how do you grow it? Well, you can do this for the first few years, you can hire a couple of workers and then you start to turn it into a system. You get all this fish, you start distributing it everywhere, you amass loads of money. And then the guy says, then what happens? He's like 40 years old, you can take all the earnings and you can go back to your, go back to your wife and go back to your kids and you'll be able to enjoy the life. And, and it's like, this man is like all about growing and expansion. It was hilarious mm -hmm. that the businessman thought uh, all this hard work to make a business and get the fish is going to result in you finally enjoying time with your family and enjoying the beach. God. And the guy already had it. The guy actually had it. He knew what he had. He didn't need that business stuff and expansion and whatnot. So the dreams and visions that were sold to us when we were younger by all types of adults, in reality, we are completely shaping what that means for ourselves live. There is no template for it. And whatever our parents taught us, we had to, we were forced to modify it because those existing templates don't work for today's life. For you leaving grad school finally only to come back and be like, oh, now I, I have existence and I can get a job. And it's like, come on. The weird thing is that my parents in typical Bengali parent 
fashion were always very much like, okay, yes, like you should be good at music. And like, they, they gave me like singing lessons and like sitar lessons mm-hmm. and whatever. And like, um, you know, they encouraged me drawing and stuff, but I feel like there was still something weirdly like extrinsic about it. Like I didn't, I, I did try to get as much like intrinsic enjoyment out of it as I could, but I still felt like I was doing like singing and like music and stuff because my parents were telling me to do that. And I didn't truly enjoy it back then. It took me until mm. into my adult years to understand that, wait, I actually really do like music. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's not like everything our parents instill in us to quote unquote by, you know, force or like right. without explanation doesn't have benefit. I would say like, for for me, my mom, when I was younger, she would like tell me, you have to go pray. You have to go pray. You have to go pray. If you don't pray right now, it's going to be really bad. And now I have this cultivation where I have this internal like calm. It keeps me centered. It keeps me closer and connected to the earth and, and to God. And yeah. it had not been the pressure that my mom had put on me. So I, I do think it's a balance. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just not encouraged to participate in activities for their own sake like just because it's rewarding I feel like I didn't have time to like think about that back then because it was always okay go do this then go do that then go do that like I was so busy as a kid doing all these things that my parents were telling me to do that I didn't stop to think that maybe I actually really like it or maybe I don't like you know like I didn't have that that internal desire to like learn that about myself and so I feel like later in life what happens with kids like this because this happens to so many kids is that they don't have their own like sense of identity or they feel that they can't necessarily trust themselves which can lead to like a whole host of wellness issues and whatever oh absolutely I I I have friends who go to therapy and they have you know they talk to a therapist regularly and it's interesting to hear how much they have uh, been able to detangle their entire process of from like everything rooting from their parents. Actually, a few years ago, a friend of mine had introduced to my huge friend circle. I grew up with uh, like eight really close friends in like an apartment building complex. I was really blessed to have that. It was just so nice. Like people who I still know, like one of my roommates, I've known him for like 20, 25 years now. And his friend introduced a book called Toxic Parenting to us. It was super fascinating, written by the psychologist. And basically, the the premise of the book, it has two sections. In the first section of the book, the idea is that, you know, a lot of things that we blame ourselves for, we're like, oh, we weren't listening to our parents enough. Oh, we didn't, uh, you know, my, we, we rationalized. Oh, my mom just yelled at me for this because I could have done better. Or I never can make my mom and dad happy. But the book's completely unwinded that concept it was just like no your parents have to take ownership and responsibility that they introduce toxicity into your life right and that toxicity is not of your own doing it is an adult's doing whether they did it intentionally or not and in some cases it's intentional some cases not it's an adult's doing right and on the second half of the book the second half of the book is talking about how it's up to you to start reclaiming your narrative like hold yourself on the shoulder, Uh, give yourself a hug and tell yourself like, no, I can create boundaries outside of my parents while still having a healthy relationship with my parents. Yeah. And I'm telling you, when this book came into our friend circle, everything imploded. Oh my God, this is how I feel with my mom and my dad. And it's just like, where am I going with all this? And uh, oh my, and you know, it's good. These are the healthy conversations to have now. These conversations that are hidden in the shadows often about our parents 
there's a taboo around it, right? Yeah. I deal with kids all the time who are just like, well, you know, I'm not supposed to speak poorly about my parents. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want you to learn that there's a difference between speaking poorly about your parents and speaking clearly about things that are affecting you. Right. Yes. There's a very important distinction. And the more you learn the words and the emotions and the intonations to have that conversation, the better it's going to be with your parents. Right. And what we're describing here is, or what you're describing here is a very individualistic way of thinking, which is good for like its purposes. But like, we're just raised in such a community culture. And Mm -hmm. even though a lot of us don't necessarily come here with our whole families, um, there's a lot of smaller, like nuclear families here, like just the parents and the kids and not necessarily cousins. Mm -hmm. Um, That tends to happen here with Asian Americans. But they, they still kind of raise us as if we're part of a community unit. And I feel like it just kind of, I feel like I know a lot of people my age who are also from a similar disposition who now are, are having trouble having like good relationships with their parents at this age because they're going through the same thing of like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm out in the world and I, I, I don't, I just don't feel right. Like I, I don't have like the confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm unprepared. Like they feel maybe like kind of untrained for the world. Um, and there's mm. like that sense of fragility. And and so what happens is that they turn around and blame their their parents or their upbringing or their culture. And I don't think it's good to distance yourself from any of those things. Even if they were bad for you, I don't. I still don't think it's good because there's, it's like you said, there's a, there's a difference between talking about your parents um, in a bad way versus mm. like, just talking about what happened to you. 100%, 100%. I was working with this college student and my goodness, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I want to throw the phone across the room. I was so frustrated. This person, this individual, he, he, was, uh, he went through a very serious situation uh, that you know, was of his own doing. It was an unfortunate series of events. Um, And ultimately, what ended up happening as I I started probing him and talking to him, his parents later found out. So he started blaming his parents. And he basically was saying to them, like, you know, you guys are responsible. He started taking a psychology course in college. And, you know, he's taking all this rudimentary knowledge that he took and starts applying it everywhere without really thinking about the considerations. He felt very like, I have been wronged. I am the victim here. Mm. Just because I made some mistakes doesn't mean those mistakes aren't truly my responsibility. It really is my parents who are at the root of this issue. I just don't accept this premise. At one point, you start to cross a threshold. You are not able to blame your parents for your issues anymore. You need to take responsibility. Just because your parents made mistakes who are human, and you might be a parent one day too, there needs to be a sense of empathy, understanding that parents are trying to figure it out just as much themselves. I mean, I feel like I'm often criticizing like um, typical desi upbringing, but I'm never, I'm never turning around and blaming them for it. Or I, I try to like keep that boundary very clear. I'm never blaming our heritage for the way that we turned out. I'm just really sitting here trying to unpack the things that have happened and just like the common issues that we face as first and second generational Desi people. And I feel like also if I'm criticizing my own culture, I'm, (laughs) 
I don't know if this is like just my ingrained like conditioning, but I feel like when I'm criticizing like Desi culture, it sounds like I'm saying automatically by default that Western culture is more correct. I'm in no way saying that. I never actually talk about that, but I feel like I have this conditioning in me because that is what my parents and my other elders have like assumed that when I'm saying that what you're doing is wrong, then the other thing I'm seeing must be right. But that's also like not at all what I'm saying. I don't think that Western parenting is necessarily the answer either. But one thing about Asian parenting that I was reading about um, that's different from Western parenting is that is the belief that achievement is effort-based, not based on innate ability, which I think is a more Western way of um, parenting. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. I'm, I'm of the belief that with the right guidance, kids can learn anything. Like anyone can learn anything with the right tools. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was this one point, my mom cultivated this in me when I was a kid. She says, when you look at the president or you look at the boss or you look at the person who's on the moon, never forget the fact that they are a human being just like you. They had to go through all the motions and all the actions that you are going through today. So you are no different than that person. In fact, you can be better than that person. But just remember, they're not higher because they're there. They had to go through all of this to get there. And so will you. And that stuck with me. I was actually yeah. telling a kid the same thing like a few years ago, except I totally did not say it so eloquently. I was just kind <laughs> of like, you know what? Like everybody poops. And then, <laughs> I mean, but it's true. Like my way of thinking is that, well, we're all equals. And just because they're doing all this great shit, like I should remember that like they also poop. And if they can poop <laughs> and I also poop, then maybe I can also be great. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. I think we can pick an age spectrum to use that analogy with. I was actually reading an article, um, doing some research, and I was reading about how Asian American kids, there was a study done, kids were asked to describe their moms, and the Asian American kids would describe their moms differently than the um, European American kids. So the Asian kids would describe their relationship with their mother, what they do together, stuff like that. And the European American would describe their mom as a separate entity from them. They might describe her appearance or her hobbies or things like that. And the point of the study was to demonstrate that there is an inherent interdependency that develops in Asian Americans. I don't know what the right answer is. I think like that can be a great thing. Some level of dependency is okay. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. We, we you know, one of the things I'm learning for sure here living in, in Knoxville for the moment is that, you know, there is this such a tight knit community here. And it's not just about this circular, like, you know, uh, you know, self-referential reinforcing community, but that mm -hmm. there is support from other people, other parents who have your back. And they, they do think that, you know, they're here to support you. They're here to help you. And so, so I think that there is some universality in like having communal structure, mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. parents be part of that equation, having your friends also being part of the equation when we're talking about the parent child dynamic that we have to also talk about like the child circle themselves have they established friends in order to help deflect some of these issues or redirect them and be able to process them and think about them do they take time to reflect do they have spaces for reflection yeah and 
do, do they do they let those internal processes actually uh, move forward? Um, so long term, I you know this for me, you, you got to step back and see the macro view, forest for the trees, and then you also look at the trees too. Mm-hmm. And by looking at both sides of the equation, I think it'll help inform the context in which uh, desis, especially second generation desis, are going to be able to reshape these conversations for their own kids. Yeah. I mean, I think an interdependency approach to parenting does make a lot of sense. And um, especially what you're saying about making sure like they have friends that are good for them to like help them to mm-hmm. unpack and deflect certain crises that they might be going to. I mean, that's that's a really important step in like childhood development is learning to cooperate with others also to lead as well as follow and to not be fearful and hang on the fringes and, and, and be immobilized by by um, guilt or shame. And I think as more kids also and young people who are start blossoming into adults, as they start destigmatizing mental health uh, resources. And they start taking advantage of using it, you know, taking a therapist and going and having good conversations, having a mental health professional to be able to help process a lot of these thoughts long term. I'm a person who's been through therapy and I can tell you it has been significantly effective. Mm -hmm. It's been very clarifying, rewarding. It's good to go internally without like beating myself up. It's nice to be able to have tools. Often people see therapy as just a talk session. In, In reality, what it is, is that a really strong professional therapist, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to give you good, strong mental tools in order to help deal with situations and find appropriate coping mechanisms. Yeah, I honestly think that everyone should go to therapy. Like, I truly believe that everybody should go to therapy, whether or not you have an issue, like an immediate crisis that you're going to. Like, I don't think you should wait to a point where like something snaps and then you have to go to therapy. It, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I can see both sides of that equation. I have some friends who... I mean, that, that's they, my belief. No, no, I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. I, I think um, I think everyone should be open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as more people learn to develop self-awareness of their emotions and their feelings, uh, it will also help them gauge more appropriately whether they need it or not. I think it's you're, you're right. It should be less of a self-assessment and more as like built into just kind of like the emotions of life. We go to a doctor for a checkup for our physical. We should do go to a therapist to go get a mm-hmm. checkup for our mental. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's going to help ultimately your overall health and your interaction with people. When we're talking about the pursuit of happiness as a general human condition, part of that requires us to be able to go ask questions yeah. to professionals who can help us see ourselves clearly in the mirror. Um, so I do see that 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 value. Um, but at the same time, I think people who have good social circles, people who have good community structures, people who have outlets to speak and talk. We used to have this all the time. People are more isolated and lonely now. Mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram have become our, our therapists. It, it, this is the stuff that really needs to be countered. That's that's the bigger challenge, I would say, before I... Here's where I slightly differ with what you're saying. So I do think it's good to have a good support system and 
have a good set of friends and whatever. Uh, I don't think it's good to expect them to do. I don't know if you're saying really to expect them to do like emotional work for you, but I think that's what is going to end up happening if all you have are your friends to turn to. Um, it's like twofold. Uh, should should a friend do your emotional work for you? Probably not. That's not a healthy thing to do, especially mm-hmm. if you're depending on them for it. But if we're talking about like you know you're in a slump you can't think through things clearly you're really feeling sad just calling a friend yeah definitely can completely change your condition totally but the thing is nowadays there's this like individualism like yeah i need to solve my own problems yeah i gotta do my own thing yeah i gotta be the one and i just i just don't truly believe that that's the end goal the height of being an individual is knowing that you need other people because once you realize that you need other people then you can be kind to yourself and be like I'm confident, self-supporting, but I also know that I need to talk to someone. I also know that my friend needs to be here. I know that I need to do that 3 a.m. midnight run where I get go get some ice cream and just really like talk it out. And yeah, maybe in the future, I can also cultivate this relationship with my mom and tell her, mom, I love you. This hurt me. This was really challenging. I still love you. I just wanted to be able to talk to you about it. And I know that that's possible to cultivate, even with Desi parents. Mm-hmm. It's the fear that we have that we have to get over, that we, we can't have this conversation. And I'm not saying it's a universal solution, but I am saying that we all definitely need to make that attempt to bridge that gap. And, that, and I think all of that happens before therapy. And if you go through therapy, you'll probably come back and circle back to a lot of this as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you make a good point. I also think that we live in a very lonely culture. I feel like our culture is becoming more lonely. And I, I mean this for Western and Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. We live in a lonely place. And I think that our parents are starting to sense that. And they see it when we start becoming, like maybe we start becoming more American and more individualistic and less about family obligation and... and um upholding a legacy and loyalty and all that kind of stuff. They, they see it as starting to become more American or more like Bideshi, you know, foreign. And mm-hmm. they feel like they're losing control. So I, I find, and I don't know if you see this too, but I find that it turns into more of a ownership rela- relationship between the parent and the kid rather than a caretaker relationship between a parent and their kid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of this has to do with like, I definitely agree. <laughs> it sucks. It's just, I'm like, no, I don't want to agree. Honestly, realistically speaking, you're right. Because, you know, pa- parents feel like they need to take onus and control. When parents see so much chaos around their kids, there are drugs to deal with, bad influences, American influences, Western influences. They're all diluting our Desi culture. I need to make sure my kids, we're going to double down on them, triple down on them. They don't realize it's kind of like a slippery bar of soap. The more you try to grab onto it, the more it's just going to squeeze and slip out of your hands. Yeah. And so really what you got to do, you got to have that deft touch, that gentle touch, that soft touch that's going to be able to um, encourage a kid to hold on to their roots and their identity while still being able to incorporate and explore other parts of it. I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from for sure. <laughs> I mean, I think so because I think that a lot of child rearing methods like are often ineffective like I see it in the classroom too because I've I've been and I'm pretty new to this still but I've been teaching um recently kind of like a new mm-hmm. career change for me and I'm noticing a lot right. that um the difference between punishment and consequence because punishment is personal 
self-punishment is like you did something wrong and now you're going to go get a timeout and you're going to sit alone and think about what you did and consequences. Okay. You did this thing and this is what happened. So this is why we don't do this thing to begin with. It's a learn consequences, more of like a learning experience. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, we, we need to be able to cultivate guilt and not shame necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, or internal guilt and shame, not public guilt and shame. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that goes along the line that internal guilt and shame is a recognition of those consequences. I have this incredible friend. She, she worked at Montessori. So I'd go outside her classroom. They have like this small little table with two chairs. And, and if two kids are fighting, and if they're like, one of them really caused a problem, she'll bring both of the kids out. It's like, all right, you're in the conflict corner. It's time for you to go into the conflict corner. Both of you are going to sit down there for 20 minutes without talking. And then like they, and then afterwards, she like probes them. It's like, okay, who's going to apologize? Are you guys okay now? Good. All right, everybody back in the class. Very like, it's not like you go into a corner, you go into a corner, both of you are bad. It's not, it's not like mm-hmm. you're, you're a horrible person. It's like, no, you're going to deal with the reality of what you, the consequence of w- what you reaped right. in front of you right now, even while you're like six years old. Yeah. I and mean, that makes all the difference. It does. And it, it's the difference between having them just like, like punishing them and just isolating them and just saying like, Hey, we're all trying to do this activity and what you're doing right now is not helpful. So I'm going to need you to like separate yourself from the group. It's not personal. It's just, I like we all need to do this thing right now. They they start to get it because they want to be part of the group. Like that's human nature. You want to be part of something. Oh man, that's a hundred percent. Like we, I think parents in general, and nowadays even more so, underestimate the capacity of kids, the capacity for them to have emotional intelligence, the capacity for them to even perform or act. I went to Texas. I remember like uh, about a year ago uh, to San Antonio, Texas, to go for visit uh, a friend's home. And I heard about this young kid. He knows how to drive a tractor trailer. He's 10 years old. Whoa. I I was so shocked. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know how to drive a tractor trailer. I mean, it's probably like driving a car of some sort. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that this kid can play baseball. The kid can do tractor trailer. But it helps with the gardening. Helps with the farming. Helps with tending to the animals. He's 10. Yeah. The kid has the ability to absorb all of it. Uh-huh. I could talk about why we should trust kids for ages. I I actually, so I make toys like kind of off topic, but I make toys for kids. And what I notice a lot in the toy industry is that everything is made out of plastic. And it's because when you drop the toy, it won't break because it's plastic. And Mm. I am not a proponent for that. Besides the Mm. fact that I think plastic is just terrible for the world, which it obviously is. I think that let the toys break. I think like let the toys break and they'll learn how to handle them better. They realize that, okay, I have to stop throwing my toys around. And that means like, if I take care of them, I won't have to like, I won't lose toys because I'm not breaking them all the time because Mm -hmm. I'm not throwing them. I'm taking care of them. I never make toys out of plastic. At most, maybe I'll have certain components made of plastic, but I never make an entire plastic toy. Like my toys are typically made out of wood or something else. um, Mm -hmm. Because like, like a nice hefty material that they can like understand. I just think that plastic is not good for childhood development or for any kind of tactile learning. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that. It's good to see like a lot of this brainstorming and understanding that we're doing regarding like parent kid relationships. They, Mm -hmm. they have a touch point in every industry that you work with, whether 
you're going to be a teacher that's going to be educating kids to whether you're like a mentor who's going to be giving advice or coaching uh, like like I do or even if you are just someone who's working in the business industry and in the business in a business and you need to create something for kids each point you have to understand what is it that a kids going through in that age and demographic what is it that yeah. the impact you're going to have and what can we best do to support these kids to become righteous people and righteous citizens and good human beings that contribute to a brighter world in the long run and yeah i i know i want my mom to come home and just be like i'm proud of you and i know she loves that feeling so, and it's not a sense of pride that she did it but it's a sense of pride that goodness can exist in this world for my kid for myself for us so that, that's a, that's how i take it away I, th- i think it's very important that you brought that up for sure Yeah, I mean, I could talk about why we should trust kids for like ages and ages. I mean, this is what I studied for my graduate thesis and it's still something that I work on and make real tangible products out of. So like I think about this often. I'm I'm you know, I'm glad I, if we can encourage more people to start start doing that investigation to not just see like kids as like these icky little monsters. Even like I love middle schoolers. I love middle schoolers. I love high schoolers. Love working with them. and mm-hmm. because you just get to see their growth immediately you get to see i remember this one time i was working with the, one of my basketball kids and everyone was like super excited and i went to him i could tell he was like having a really hard day like he just you know saturday morning he's just not feeling it so i go to him and i'm like all right you're going to take a walk with me the rest of you guys you keep doing your routine so we start taking a walk around the entire park and i'm talking to him like hey what's happening Like, you know uh, we've been I've been fighting at home my mom's been really angry and you know like I don't know things are just really tough for me right now my grades are not that great I'm like yo I got you I, I completely get it it makes sense that all of that's interrupting your mind and that it's not letting you feel good about yourself how about this why don't you just take a second let's just walk a little bit more and then mm-hmm. when you get a second I want you to try your best When you get back on the basketball court, you're going to just take the ball, just drop it, and let everything melt away for the moment. Mm-hmm. Not, you don't come to the basketball court to solve the problems. You come there to remind yourself that you can manage them. Yeah. Kid was amazing afterward. He was just dropping buckets yeah. like no tomorrow. And I just saw that change, that emotional, cha- emotional state change. It was so powerful. I mean, I think that we tend to forget as adults what it was like to be a kid and this is a crime we should we should always remember who we were in our past lives but okay i understand like it's easy to lose sight of that just try to, i just think it's really important to remember that kids are also human beings like they may be misguided um human beings but they have like a whole <laughs> range of complex emotions just like we do oh god um, misguided human beings <laughs> sometimes they are <laughs> I mean sometimes they just do the wrong thing and you just have to tell them you know but they have a whole range of emotions just like of uh emotions emotions just like we do they're humans like we just yeah. we can't forget that they're just going through like different crises they don't know how to handle we don't even know how to handle all of our crises oh, tell me about it right <laughs> there might be something going on this approach that you're talking about with the kid where you were just like you know what let's just like take a minute It works. I mean, sometimes like when I'm in the classroom, I'm like, you know what? You want to just like go to the bathroom and like come back when you're ready in like a few minutes. Just just go, mm-hmm. just go take a break. And yes. they come back much better. Yes. 
It's good. It's good. I'm glad that we're talking about this and we're really like, you know, when you're working as an educator, when you're working as a mentor, mm-hmm. a lot of the times you're like, man, these kids are damaged. They, go, they went through so much in their lives. What can I do? In reality, what it is is that you can do a lot. A lot of it is completely in your hands. A lot of it comes from good intentions. It comes from just knowing that you're, as long as you're always there for the kid, you're not angry or annoyed that the kid's there. You just, you want to see them in a positive light. And if you yeah. have that intention, that intention can drive your actions to just being there and supporting them and building those tools for them to be able to manage themselves. It, it, that's the stuff that gives me hope. And, I, you know, I've, the more I can get more of my friends and more of my family and more people to understand that, like to support kids in every step of the journey, in the long run, I see the reward of it. And that concept of the Desi condition and Desi-ness and first generation Desi-this, it's hard. No one's going to defeat it in a generation. But the conversation has to start now for sure. There are so many nuggets, I'm sure, like if we keep prying into the past and we think about the stuff. Actually, I was just reflecting on something as we were having this conversation. Jeff Bezos, right, CEO of Amazon, he Mm -hmm. had a commencement at Princeton University a couple of years ago. And he had this beautiful sentiment. He, he was with his grandparents in the car and his grandma was smoking cigarettes. And so he was a wonderkind and he was calculating. He just saw a billboard pass by as they were driving and talked about how X amount of cigarettes can take off years of your life. So he started mm-hmm. doing math in his head. He was like, okay, if I do X amount of this, X amount of this, X amount of this, and if my grandma smokes this many cigarettes, then... Ultimately, uh, she's going to die in maybe like 10 years. So he calculates it really quickly in his head. And he tells his grandma, Grandma, if you keep smoking cigarettes, you're going to die in like 10 years. <laughs> and, okay. and so his perspective was, oh, I'm going to give data and information in order to change your mind. But what ended up happening was she pulled over the car and she started crying. She didn't respond. And so then his grandpa came out of the car, held him down and said, Son, I just want you to know, one day you'll learn there's, it's much harder to be kind than to be clever. Mm. And like, that stuck with me, even to, today for me reading that. And that commencement is beautiful. If you ever get a chance to listen to it or even read the, I read the transcript and I still refer to it in years later because parenting, those little moments, what the grandfather did and just reminding a kid, but sometimes the hardest thing is being kind. That's such a great example of what I was talking about before with parents doing the heavy lifting for us, you know, because I feel like the flip side to that is that another parent might say, um, don't, don't talk like that. Like that's crass. Don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's actually explaining that, listen, like you have to be kind. There was a better way of saying that, you know, et cetera. So he's not doing the heavy lifting. The kid is doing the heavy lifting. He's doing that emotional work and he needs to do that emotional work. I I definitely agree with that. I hope that we, we, find a way to, you know, instill and lift up our our kids, our generation of kids, whether it's like the younger ones, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, and even college students, right, who have not really got into the corporate realm, even though they have adult responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I hope we can still also remind them, like, you too, you'll be fine, and cultivate their internal states that they've developed, and be able to, like, remind them you'll be fine, you're a good person. You're much more capable than you realize. You just need to be reminded of that. I, I believe that the kids can be fine. 
I think believe they probably will be fine. But I feel like in general, like what I see in adults who are in a position of power over kids, like whether it's a parent or a teacher or a mentor, sometimes I worry because they are bad practices and they don't necessarily mean to be harmful, but it's happening. And so that's why I really wanted to do this episode and address why like these little things that that you think you're laying down the law for your kid and that's going to teach them discipline. I believe that discipline is important. Of course it is. But it's also important to self-navigate to a disciplinary approach to develop a disciplined way of thinking within a kid because it needs to be he needs to come from an intrinsic desire rather than a fear of consequences. Yes, 100%. I guess that's the whole point of why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> no, it's I'm I'm kudos. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. I think it's uh, it's really like just a nice blessing, and just it's good. It's good. Also, like sometimes we forget, like these conversations are not just about us espousing ourselves and th- talking about what we've learned, but really is to remind ourselves why we do what we do. And I think this conversation really helped me do that. It reminded me, like. I miss those middle school kids and high school kids I work with. You've been in the seminar and I guess you haven't really been uh, working in that space in a while. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're in full-time studies, it's hard. You you just can't, you have to focus and you have to really be done in the books and you got to do your papers. But you know, long-term I do see myself going back to the community. And even while I'm in school, I will do that. I think it's all about adjusting to my bearings and really getting everything together. But yeah, no long-term hundred percent. I feel so much better. Oh my God, I will never forget this. Like it touched me, like touched me so much. This one high school kid came up to me and she she was just like, thank you so much for impacting me. Like you are the reason why I am so inspired to do what I do. I just came up and I'm I'm here and it just made it worth it. Sometimes you really don't know what kind of impact your actions are going to have on kids. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the end of the episode. Just a reminder, I launched my website last week, tdcpodcast.com. The website is basically an extension of this podcast in that there will be sources for anything I may have researched for episodes if anyone's curious about that stuff. It's also a space for Desi creatives to be represented in one spot because mental health is more than just an audio media. So send me your gorgeous work, whether it's writing, art, photography, whatever your preferred medium is, and I'll post it on the website. I'm also going to be posting some of my own work as well as making blog posts about cool shit all the time. So check it out right now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned something. If you have questions or comments, please reach out on Facebook and Instagram at the Daisy Condition, or you can email me at the Condition at gmail.com. Or you can visit my fantastic new website, tdcpodcast.com. You can also talk to me there. And if you're listening on a platform in which you can leave ratings and reviews, please consider doing so. And in the meantime, you can like every single thing I post on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you next time.